Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's, it's wonderful to see you all and to see you all social distancing, um, except for this group um, and that group. But there's a lot of relations going on here, so that's okay. Um, there is so many things I want to talk about, but there's no time because, again, we're trying to keep our services short, so you're going to have to pay attention quickly this morning. Um, but it's just so exciting to be together, so exciting to see what God has done and what he's continued to do. And we've been studying through Nehemiah, uh, and I'm not going to get a show of hands of who got sick of online and like I just haven't done it for a month. Uh, because I know a lot of you, if you were honest, probably raised your hands, and I totally get it. So go back and listen to the podcast if you haven't, because we're in Nehemiah, and it is an awesome book. Uh, and it's very, very relevant, I think, to where we are right now. In fact, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 6 this morning. Um, and just real quick, if you are wondering, where are the Bibles? Where are the notes? Where are the clipboards? Uh, Bibles are in the back if you need them. And we're not doing anything with pens or writing, you know, just for the sake of other people touching. So I encourage you to get the, uh, the app. Um, uh, our Wi-Fi works well here, I think. And so if you don't have the app, download the app, Common Ground Carson, um, and then you can take notes on there and you can follow along there. If you're like me and you love writing, next week bring your own. Uh, we apologize for that, but we're trying to do what we can to not spread anything. Um, so like I was saying, though, we're, in, we're in Nehemiah, and here where we're about to be is kind of a high point. Uh, they, they finished the wall. Now, flashback uh, to the beginning of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. Uh, Nehemiah, the king of Persia, that is, which was the ruling empire at the time. Uh, Persia, the Persians had given Jews permission to go back to Jerusalem, back to rebuild. Nehemiah, being cupbearer, he hadn't gone back. He had stayed close to the king. Now, he was obviously a godly man, um, a, a godly Jewish man, which at that time, those were God's people, the Jews, the Israelites. And he was doing his job well. Uh, he was a, a close official of the king, you know, trusted with, you know, drinking and eating his food before he did, so he didn't get poisoned. Uh, and that happened in, in Persia. Often it was, you know, family members wanted to kill them so they could ascend. So he was in an important position, and he then had a, a brother come from Jerusalem, and he said, hey, how are things in Jerusalem? And he had this vision, obviously, of what it was. People had gone back, the temple's rebuilt, worship must be going well. You know, he's just dreaming about probably, what's it like to worship there together? Um, the wall is probably, you know, all these things, what he saw, and his brother says, things are not good. The wall is torn down, the people are vulnerable, and because of that, this is God's people in God's city, the wall torn down, things in rubble, that shines on God, and Nehemiah is broken because of that. And he's broken, and his heart breaks because he cares about what God cares about, he prays and he fasts and eventually asks the king, hey, can I go rebuild that wall? And the king sends him with the credit card, says, go rebuild the wall. Sends him with letters because the people in the area are coming against him. So that's what we saw. Now, he gets there, he rebuilds the wall. Uh, you know, a lot of other stuff had happened. If, if you don't remember, go back and read it. Um, but now we're getting to the point where the wall is just about done and the enemies are going to come up against him again. And I think this is really relevant to us because, I mean, look around. We're, we're now just about done with the building project. We're now almost able to meet all together. Who knows when we'll be in phase three, but we're starting to gather. There is something happening right now, and not just here at Common Ground, but God is on the move. You know, people have been exposed to the gospel and church who have never been exposed before. People have been watching online who never would have come to it. God is on the move, and this is exciting times. But here's the thing. 
we're in a battle. And we talk about this a lot at Common Ground. You know, we're a battleship, not a cruise ship, because we recognize we are in an actual battle. We are in an actual fight. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Does that sound timid or passive? You know, Jesus knew what he was doing. He said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword, you know, a mother against her daughter, meaning you know, he did come to bring peace. But, but people that give their life to Christ and those that are anti-Christ, not the anti-Christ, but against Christ, there's going to be issues there. Uh, and, and people aren't the enemy, but we know there is an enemy. And so we're going to be looking at the enemy today. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was remembering when I was in junior high, and this will show you my age a little bit, uh, the game that we would play at 7-Eleven, so this was one of our favorite things, we'd ride our bikes, go to 7-Eleven, uh, get a Slurpee and a bunch of candy, and my friends would bring pockets full of quarters to play Street Fighter. Um, anybody remember Street Fighter? I'm just curious. Uh, okay, okay, so Street Fighter, and they would just play and play and play, and they knew all the special moves and whatever, and I mostly just drank my Slurpee and watched. But every now and then I would play, and I always chose the same player, Blanca. And he was this green monster, and the reason I chose him was I knew three moves that he did. One of those, like you do a certain button, and he does this, and he like, and he electrifies, and if you get close enough, there's no defense against it. Or you can do this thing where you like claw him like this, and it's awesome, and you get a pin in the corner, or you do this roll thing. Anyway, I knew three moves, and sometimes I won. Most of the time I didn't, because my friends were addicted to it. But similar to that, you know, three moves, our enemy has a few moves that he uses over and over. Our enemy has a few schemes that he uses over and over because they work. And we want to be aware of those schemes of the enemy. And we're talking about the devil, Satan. Uh, people are not our enemies. They are victims of the enemy. And, and the enemy can use people. But we have an enemy. And he does the same thing over and over. And it's surprising as we look at the church, and I'm talking the church as a whole and churches, and you see what brings them down. It's only a few things because it continues to work. And we see that even here in Nehemiah, where the enemies are going to come, and they have three strategies we're going to see specifically today in chapter 6, three schemes that we're going to look at and then apply to us that we can watch out for it as well. Let's look at Nehemiah 6, 1 through 4. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall... And there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors uh, in the gates, which, okay, this is awesome. This wall is two and a half miles long, probably about 40 feet tall. They built it in 52 days. It's up except for the gates, so they're still a little bit vulnerable to the enemy, but now the enemy sees, oh, they're going to complete this, and they're in desperation mode. Sanballat, verse 2, uh, and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hekfarim on the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. So here's this first scheme that they were trying that I think the enemy tries with us in its distraction. The enemy will attempt to distract us from doing God's work. Four times they said, stop working, come meet with us. Stop working, come meet with us. And they wanted to do him harm, but they were trying to just prevent this leader, you know, who's organizing and doing a good job. And he says, I'm doing a great work, leave me alone. They're trying to distract him. Now let's look at us as American Christians. I would say this is maybe one of the greatest schemes of the enemy. 
distraction. I would say that the two reasons that the church a lot of times struggles in the United States is distraction and apathy. You know, apathy of just, we're just comfortable being Christians, but no sense of urgency for the kingdom. Well, here, you know, Nehemiah has a sense of urgency to get this wall done for the glory of God and the benefit of people. And I think we need to get over our apathy and have a little bit of sense of urgency for people. I mean, in this time right now, people are struggling. Do we have urgency that they could say yes to Jesus now? Urgency in our own marriages. How about sin in your life? Do you feel a sense of urgency that, you know what, I need to get through this sin? I need to get over this and, and enjoy God you know, better, a sense of urgency. But then here, distraction. You know, am I the only one in the room that likes to watch a movie while searching the web and playing a game on my phone? I know. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, so I'm the only one. Distraction is so there for us. I mean, just right there, that's one of the things I struggled with a little bit with church on Facebook. It's a great platform and it worked, but you're watching and then it's, you know, pop up this or pop up that and, and whatever form you're watching, we're so distracted. And I think the enemy uses that, you know, because again, we can study this and if you're like me, again, you study the word and you get fired up for what God can do. You see how great he is. You hear about the things he's done here and you're like, awesome. And then you walk outside and there's just something. You know, whatever it is, a, you know, a, a flat tire um, or distracted by a, a desire for success or whatever it is. We have so many distractions. But Nehemiah here, the enemy is trying to distract him, and he says, leave me alone, I'm doing a great work. I think that's great. He's just kind of single-focused on kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God, and he'll provide everything we need. Distraction. How about this one? One of the distractions I've seen a lot of times in the church is the church. Religion can be distracting. And many, many years ago, when I was still a contractor, I was meeting at a guy's house, and we were working, and uh, he found out I was a Christian, and I found out he was, and we were talking. And he was so excited that he spent every day of the week at church, a Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. And I just, you know, I said, well, when do you live it? When do you spend time with your family, with your kids, when we're consumed with religious activity? And I th again, that's not all bad. Studying the Bible, we need to be doing that. But there's something about taking it and going with it. And, you know, spending time with our families, absolutely, having fun with our kids, and then going into our communities, volunteering places in our communities, whatever it is, we can be distracted by church. That's why, if you've ever wondered, why doesn't Common Ground do a lot of programs? That's why, because we know if we do, you good people will show up, and we don't want you to. <laughs> we we want to be, be living in our community. So there's the first one, distraction. What's the second one that we see? Scheme two. I'll give it to you, then we'll read it. Discredit. We could be distracted, or we could be discredited. The enemy will use slander and gossip to hurt our reputation and draw us to attempt to defend ourselves. Look at verse 5. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. There's the key, an open letter. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now... So the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. He's sending an open letter. 
The letter, the message he did send was, you know, hey, come meet with us. Now he sends an open letter. An open letter, that's not the way you did it. Meaning somebody's carrying it and, and like, hey, read this. Hey, read this. Hey, read this. And then they whisper on. And, then, and, and by the time it gets to Nehemiah, you know, the word is passing. His whole point here is he's trying to discredit Nehemiah with lies. With lies, saying, hey, he wants to be king. He wants to do this. And think about it. If you're one of the workers there in Jerusalem, and you start hearing these things, you start wondering, well, is he? Are his motives impure? You know, what's going on here? And so here, again, they're trying to discredit. This will happen to us. This will happen to you. If you really, really want to walk for Christ, maybe even for the first time, you know, if you're wondering, is Jesus really where life is at? Should I say yes to him? Should I bow the knee? If you do, there will be people that are going to call you stupid, that are going to spread. I mean, there's going to be people coming against you because of it. And here in the church, this is one of the greatest ways. This, okay, we can't be surprised. You know, again, like my favorite move with Blanca, the electric thing, this is Satan's favorite move <laughs> right here. Get in the church, get slander, get gossip, get it going, you hear it, you start to believe it, you start to wonder, and go on. Uh, one example, we had somebody previously leave the church and then later came back, but they left because there was a big TV in the back that was used for whatever, and like, well, that's not a good use of money. And then later, this person was talking to somebody else, and we asked the reason. He's like, well, you know, that was given. And this person was like, I'm the one that gave it. <laughs> you know, and so they, they had this idea that was not right, and they made decisions, and it drew them away. For us, when we hear something, you know, as a staff, as leadership, we have a covenant here. And our covenant is if, if you come to me and you say something about Paul or about Preston, or, I'm immediately not going to believe you. I'm going to go to them, but the first thing I'm going to do is you need to go to them. I'm not even going to listen to, to bad talk about somebody. Now, if it's true, we need to get in, and, but the gossip, we, we just won't, it won't happen. And we, hopefully that spreads throughout all of us. Like, that's just how we work. You know, somebody comes and says, hey, I, I heard this about Andrew Cole. You're like, time out. Then you need to go talk to Andrew. <laughs> you know, and if you want me to go, we'll, we'll go. And I'm picking on Andrew because he's sitting right there. Um, but, but gossip and slander, when it gets in there, and, and again, you may think this seems extreme. This exact thing happened to me. Somebody wrote a letter and spread it. Lies. And then other people confronted me with it. And I'm like, what you just read is a lie. And he said, no, it's not. And for me, that was one of the hardest things I dealt with because here's all these people believing things about me that weren't true. What do I do? I sure want them to think well of me, so I need to go fix it. You, you know, I want to go justify myself or prove, but in the process then, I have to expose somebody else and go, they're a liar. What does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah doesn't do that. He just said, I love what he says, uh, verse 8. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. So again, he goes to God, he prays, he says, you've made this up in your mind, and he just gets back to work. He doesn't waste his time dealing with his own reputation, which is awesome. Part of it is he had the character and the integrity that hopefully people could see and go, no, we don't believe it either, but some are definitely going to believe it. But he's not wasting his time with that because he's got better things to do, and I appreciate that. And he sees the scheme here in verse 9. They were hoping their hands will drop from the work. That's the whole point, isn't it? If the enemy can get in here and we start having to deal with one another and all this stuff, our hands are going to drop from the work. 
We're going to stop living the mission, all these things, and we're going to start focusing on ourselves, and that's just a waste of time. We don't want to have to do that. Gossip and slander tear churches apart from the inside. Scheme three, disqualify. Listen to this one. Here's the next one. A leader, and I would say any of us that are really going to step out for God, you are a leader in some sense. If you're going to be obedient and go, that's leadership. A leader can disqualify themselves through sinful disobedience to Scripture. Look at verse 10. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. This is different. Before, he had been doing the work, right? I mean, you just kind of picture him doing the work, and the enemies are saying, hey, come to us, hey, and he doesn't, he just keeps going. He barely pays attention. Here, he goes to somebody's house. He left the work to go to this person's house. What does that tell us about this person? And as you see the description and the things this guy's asking him to do, this is probably a friend, or at least somebody he trusts. This is probably a spiritual leader, probably a priest, Because he says, let's go into the temple. Well, that's where the priest could go. And according to the Jewish law, Nehemiah, not being a priest, could not go into the inner parts of the temple. That That would have been sinful. And it was clearly laid out in Scripture that he should not do that. And here's somebody from God, a friend, saying, hey, they're going to kill you. We should be afraid of that. So there's the first one. Act on faith, not fear. And now sin against the clear writings in Scripture, and let's go into the temple. Nehemiah knows his Bible, and he hears that, and he says, if you're a godly man, and you're following him, you're not going to ask me to sin, and we're doing a great work, why would you try and distract that? So he, he saw through this, but here's the thing about this one. We can be tempted to sin to disqualify ourselves, and sometimes that might come from fellow believers. Sometimes that could come from a spiritual leader. What, and even, you know, this idea of disqualification. You know, look at the history of the church and and church leadership. How many times have church leaders been brought down through sin? Sexual sin, financial sin, pride. I mean, all these temptations of the enemy, I'd say those are the three big ones. Again, we know what he's up to. We don't have to be surprised. And so he dangles these things in front of us to disqualify us. Rather, we're going to see through it. Beware of temptation. Beware of temptation. That's the point. Because sin can disqualify us. Look at verse 14. Here's how he responds. So Nehemiah, again, before I read 14, I want to point this out. Nehemiah doesn't go out and tell everybody, hey, look what this priest, look what this, he doesn't point it out. He doesn't throw this guy under the bus. He trusts God with it and just goes about his own business. Verse 14, remember, he's praying now, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah, 
and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Again, these are spiritual leaders, supposedly. And he, he just gives it to God, and he continues to work. Verse 15, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. That's a miracle. And I love verse 16. And when our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. I love that. Will the community around look at the things that we do, that God does through us, and go, that is only possible because of the help of their God. Nehemiah doesn't get the credit. He's faithful, which is great, but God does the real work. Nehemiah didn't convince the Persian king, you know, to send him with an, an entourage. You know, the king chose to do that. Nehemiah isn't the one responsible. He, he wasn't such a great leader that when he got there, he convinced all the people to work. God was behind that. You know, yes, he's a good leader, but God gets the credit. You know, the people were faithful. You see it back in Nehemiah of those doing the rebuilding. Goldsmiths, priests, just normal people. You know, a guy and his daughters building in front of their house. People just showed up. God, through his people, can do amazing, amazing things. And that's what I hope we notice about this. God decides to work through his people. And he will do great things if we know he's a great God. Remember 2 Chronicles 16.9. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he can show himself strong in support of the heart that's blameless toward him. Or the heart that's fully his, depending on your translation. He is looking for people who say, God, it's all about you, it's not about me. And what does he want to do? He wants to give all his resources behind that person. All his resources. His power, his influence. He owns everything. Golly, who wouldn't want that? And if that's us, and again, this isn't to, to build a business and get rich or whatever it is. It might be to build a business, you know, to give, to, to minister. I mean, God is going to use this. This movement, I, I've had this conversation twice in the past couple weeks. This movement that we are going to see, and I'm telling you, we are going to see it because it, we're already seeing it. A movement of God to see many people come to him, to see revival, basically. It's not going to happen through clergy. It's not going to happen through pastors. Sorry, it's going to happen through all of us normal people living it. Where we live, work, and play, and our that's where it's going to happen. And if we're going to do that, that's a great work. Whatever it is, I mean, it begins at home and then moves out. The enemy will come against us. Are we ready? Are we ready? And are we willing? I think we are. I think we're willing. I think we're ready. And we're going to see great work. But let's go with our eyes open and our voices crying out to God all the way. Let me pray. Father, we are so excited for what you're doing. We're, we're excited for the things that you want to do that we don't even know you want to do. As, as we see in Nehemiah, it was your plan. It wasn't his plan. Uh, it was your plan, and, and, and he followed you. God, I, I pray that we would do the same, that we would listen and we would follow, that we wouldn't create awesome plans and just run off ahead of you. We would create our plans and humbly trust you. God, I, I pray... If we're going to be used greatly by you, it's going to begin here among us. It's going to begin individually with sin in our own lives, with our marriages, with our families. God, I ask that, that we would have the boldness to say yes to you. Maybe there's those here that, that need to say yes to you for the first time. I pray that they would have the boldness to, to place their trust in you, knowing Jesus that you died on the cross and rose from the dead. And then I ask, use us for great things for your glory, for the benefit of people. In Jesus' name, amen.